0: So, we are coming to that part of the retreat when we're aware that uh, it's getting near to ending, but it hasn't ended yet. (laughs) So just to steady the horses (laughs) of the mind galloping out already (laughs) and trying to scope in last things uh, to keep settling here. I mean, even when we're out there, we're still like, as our teacher Ajahn Sumailo used to say, we think we're going through life, but life is unfolding in awareness. So, to reorientate our, uh, from the movement into the presence is one of the trainings of the Dharma. And to ha- using the body to help us do that, where's the body? <laughs> You know, if we haven't found it yet, it's quite on the map (laughs) because we do have very deep disembodied uh, tendencies and uh, systems that keep us out and in an abstracted realm. You know, we're about to go into a metaverse, which sounds terrifying to me. (laughs) I hope I'm not around for that one. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, the body. We still have human bodies. And apparently, according to the Buddha, it's a great gift, a precious thing, to have this body in whatever ever shape or form and complexities that it has. We can take a breath. We can deepen the breath. We can feel the ground beneath us. We can slow down. i have been doing these five deep Breaths, touching each finger. Just feeling the inhalation suffusing through the body, and the exhalations releasing from that momentum. This is uh, just, just touch each finger. Let's just do that as we before we start. So you can <coughs> starting with a little pinky. Deepening breath in elongate the breath, slow it down, suffuse breath and awareness through the body. The brain down to the toes. And then on the exhalation, releasing from that momentum, softening through the body. So let's just do that five times. Arriving, slowing down. To re-regulate our nervous system. It's a simple method. Any time or place, the breath is with us. Body is here. there has been a few questions about karma and that sometimes it can feel like inexorable and connected with a feeling of being punished. There's really complex ideas around this fundamental core teaching of the Dharma. Karma literally just means action. Usually is understood action that is, informed by intentionality. So it's the intentionality, like you can accidentally step on a bug, for example, or accidentally bump into someone, which is very different from deliberately bumping into someone, out of ill intention, or deliberately taking the life even of a small bug, was another question. In our training in the monastery, you train not to take life. And that's a, it's a training, so you know, it's very subtle in that training, monastic training. Like all the precepts, uh, Try to refrain from taking human life down to a mosquito. So there's gray areas in this range. But it's like each of the precepts is like a, a sort of a red light zone where you go, the, the karmic, the impact from the karma around attentionality around these territories is more, has more power to it, more negative power to it. So pay more attention. It's not like if there's an action outside of the realm of the precepts. It's not like, you're a really bad person condemned forever. <laughs> it's like that, it's, a, it's, it's more, that was an unskillful action. There's consequences, but it's it's mutable. And the, when we can feel those consequences more immediately, this hiri otapal, he's a uh, factors of the mind that we might call conscience. Buddhism, hiri, is like this ability to feel remorse, which is different than creating a guilty person that's shamed, a bad self, which is actually considered an unwholesome state. But that difference to say that was an unskillful action and to feel, we feel the result, and and that feeling... And that ability to more immediately feel the result of unwholesome intention and that fuels action of body speech. And even within the mind, that is felt more and more acutely. So then we can feel the result, maybe it feels pain for a moment, and then that that helps to inform us as we realign our, you know, towards more integrity. Of course, when we don't feel that, then there's repression and projection, and that becomes a much more complex dynamic into the collective, not only the personal. But the Buddha taught that each karma, even things that are quite the vipaka, if you like, is the result karma vipaka, what is the what's set in motion when we when that result comes appears in our karmic extreme. that it's not fixed. It's not like, well, if I, if I, you know, I don't know, I kicked a dog, I have to then be a dog and be kicked, you know, <laughs> in some life. That's not what the Buddha taught. He said that, uh, in fact, he gave a teaching and said, if someone says to you, that a person experiences the result of karma in the exact same way that they did it. If that were so, there would be no living of the holy life and there would be no chance for the complete ending of suffering. So then he gives this example as what is the mitigating factor that moderates the impact of what's gone before. Say one individual performs a trifling, unwholesome karma that leads to a painful result, but another person experiences the result of that same unwholesome action for barely a moment. What is the difference in those two kinds of results that appear? Same action, same intention the one who is undeveloped in mindfulness of body and mind, in ethics, in wisdom, in the cultivation of the way, such an individual who performs a trifling, unwholesome karma will experience a painful result. At some point, that will come to fruition. And then, on the contrary, one who is well-developed body and mind, mindfulness of body and mind, ethics, wisdom, and all the ways that we're cultivating the path does the same action. And in doing that, the result, the painful result, appears for barely a moment. They feel, maybe we feel something, go, oh, oh, that wasn't good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll try better next time. But we allow ourselves to feel it, to contemplate it. What was the intention? What were we, what were we, what were we being motivated by? You know, we can unpackage that and inform us. And then the Buddha gives an analogy. He says that the first case, for example, it's like a person takes a salt crystal, which is, you know, like salt. It's a very strong. And drops it in a cup of water. What do you think, disciples? Has that water become salty and undrinkable? Yes, venerable sir, that water would become undrinkable. It would be toxic, it would be hard to drink. In the same way that one who's unwholesome on action and hasn't got the capacity to dissolve that is undeveloped in the way. It is, it is like that salt crystal in a cup of water. At some point, the toxicity overwhelms. However, if, that, if a person was to take that lump of salt and put it in the Ganges, what do you think? Would that crystal dissolve in the great body of water of the river Ganges? Would it be undrinkable? No, Venerable Sir. Such a salt crystal would be undrinkable. Would, would would such water, well, I don't know about the Ganges now, but a pure river, such water would be drinkable, even if you put a lump of salt in. So this is just a frame for us to consider. You know, and, and you know, the Buddha says it's unfathomable. It's unfathomable. And it's, you know, karma is a complex thing because it's, you know, it's personal and collective. And sometimes the results that we experience are, are part of the collective that we're woven into. <laughs> you know, so it's 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 a, it's a tricky ground to get into, trying to decide who's experiencing what because of what karma, you know. And so often the Buddha wouldn't really respond to some questions around that because of the nature of it is so unfathomable. But what we can attend to is to what's emerging here in our field of awakening in our process to attend here and to the practices that we're doing. Actually, a lot of what we're doing in retreats are personally and collectively, because we can also collectively dissolve unwholesome karma. You can do it on behalf of the collective, and which is what we're doing every time we share blessings from our practice, that we can actually work consciously both to cultivate the way as a container within which we can dissolve unwholesome results that come from self, family, ancestry, <laughs> in the collective, but also we can, um, you know, we can uh, we can um, take practices very consciously on that actually do that like for example the ceremony that we're offering the guanyin compassion ceremony which is an ancient ceremony come through the chinese monastic lineages around avalokiteshvara guanyin this is a ceremony at the heart of it is really using this principle of taking not only our own but particularly for the world now that we're sort of drowning in toxicity from the the causes uh, that have gone before. <laughs> um, but we can take all of that and offer it into this large flowing stream of the ceremony that we're connecting with Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and the energy of Guanyin and all the Dharma protectors, the awakening stream, and we take the salt crystal <laughs> and we make alliances and vows and determinations to align with the Bodhisattva way. And this is like building the container or connecting with the container that is like the river, the river Ganges, like the river of the Dhamma and taking these salt crystals collectively into that. And, we, and it's a beautiful thing to do. This is one of the meanings of ceremony and ritual, Is that, you know, that we do that collectively, it helps realign us with the way, with the Dharma, with health and well being, and it helps to clear uh, what has accumulated and what is generating toxicity and pain and suffering. And in the Bodhisattva way, it doesn't really matter ultimately, it does personally, and there is a lot of psychological, spiritual work around defining, you know, where boundaries are, what belongs where, and so on. But ultimately at a deeper level, when there's suffering, then we can attend to it where it arises. Uh, Whether it's ours, wherever it's come from. And sometimes we can't, and we say, that doesn't really belong to me, we can just leave it there, but we can still offer compassion. Compassion it's still sort of adding a drop into that stream of what can dissolve from what's gone before. One of the powerful medicines for dissolving all gammas that have arisen is the energy and the heart that's cultivating and cultivated compassion. It's a sort of compassion, loving kindness, love. Roka says everything terrible needs our love. It's it's easy to love kittens and (laughs) puppy dogs. It's really hard to love people that have really done us in. <laughs> or, that, uh, or, you know, we can think not very hard of particular characters in, the, in various power realms that it's hard to love. It doesn't mean to say we have to like or approve or that we're not going to challenge but perhaps it can say to us, it's not worth holding hatred in the heart. As Mr. Mandela said, when he left prison after 27 years, he said, if I hold hatred after I leave these doors, I don't think he held that. I mean, his, if you ever read Walk to Freedom, his, his journey, it's a very profound journey with him. As a as a, as a as a spiritual activist, really, although he was, didn't start in that way, his journey. So such a profound holder of consciousness that lifted, a country lifted the world for a moment. Um, he talked about, if I hold on to hatred, I'll still be in prison. So this is the inner work. There's a story of, which is uh, the gardener of Aleppo in Syria, which you can actually Google. This man, this beautiful man who was a gardener, as all the bombs were dropping, as Aleppo was being devastated, I mean, it was a complete disaster. He was growing and cultivating a rose garden. And one of the things that he said, his name was Ibrahim, Flowers are the beauty of God and nourish the heart and soul. The essence of the world is a flower. Sorry, the essence of the world is in a flower. Death is nothing. A few things I caught from what he said. And as it turned out, he, he was training his son to grow flowers. And then one day, of course, a bomb came. And in that bomb he died, but his son didn't. And so then his son took the knowledge that he learned and went to Damascus and created another rose garden. What we're doing here, as I said the other day, is leaving seeds for who comes after. Of beauty, of hope, of a rose in the midst of the rubble. holding a candle, even in a storm. It's a story that a friend of mine in the UK, I sometimes talk with, Danish, former monastic like myself, and he was telling me the story of, in the early part of the last century, there was a, an explorer that was half inuit and half danish and they would go out together on into greenland on the huge landscapes of ice tracking down polar bears hunting and one day they came across this polar bear and they cornered it and you know it was it was clearly really agitated and as they were getting nearer, and this this particular man was out more out front, the polar, bar, the polar bear just stamped its front legs absolutely powerfully on the ice. Poof! And the ice cracked. And he, the man, and the polar bear went into the freezing water. And he talked about how there was this moment when they were both in shock from the water but that there they were together and they pulled away and at a certain point, I mean this all happened quickly but you don't have very long in that circumstance, they turned and they looked at each other and the man talked about, he looked in the eyes of this polar bear and as he was looking all of these ideas of a polar bear and himself fell away and it was like he was just looking at himself and the polar bear was looking back and there was just this moment of complete and utter meeting. And then in that moment, they just pulled together and tried to help each other, you know, like scrambling to the hole. And then the other hunters came and they, they pulled, pulled them out. The story didn't end so happily for the polar bear. It's sangsara, I know. But I'm here telling you this story. So that polar bear was here now with us, the spirit of Mother Nature. Seeing in the same way we see, feeling in the same way we feel, this is compassion, the root of compassion. Italian diver Enzo Meorsa While diving in the Siracusa Sea, he felt something patting him on the back. He turned around and saw a dolphin, which he understood did not want to play but to express something. The dolphin dived and Enzo followed. At a depth of 12 meters, there was another dolphin trapped in a net. After managing with his wife to release it, the two dolphins emerged and then they emitted an almost a human cry. Dolphins can stay underwater for about 10 minutes, then they drown. The trapdoor dolphin was a female who later gave birth. The male circled them, standing in front of Enzo, and touched his cheek in a kiss, a gesture of gratitude. Enzo finished his speech by saying, until humans learn to respect and communicate with the animal world, they will never be able to know their true role on this earth. That is reclamation, this great return, this different way of seeing our role, our relationship, our connection through empathy, through compassion. This is the work of the heart and such a heart is probably one of the most profound factors for dissolving the salt crystals of our lives and of this time. The power of love, the power of compassion is unstoppable in any circumstance. Everything terrible said Rilke, needs our love. And probably no one more than ourselves. (laughs) So let's just take our attention a little more toward our being, gently taking those breaths. Grounding, arriving, slowing down again. essence of this quality of love, compassion, kindness is connected with feeling, to feel with how we are, to allow space for everything we are with. to feel the sensations in the body and in the heart. And as we do so, with a breath, with our awareness, to suffuse through our body, our being, our self, Compassion, allowing, accepting, gentleness. Appreciation for all that we are. Feeling the miracle of this body is completely unique from generations and generations into the mists of time. We are connected with through our embodied reality this is opportunity that we have to also breathe through that line compassion freedom dissolving the salt crystals of pain and suffering sending gratitude transferring all blessings from our practice. May they be liberated. And may we, may we be liberated from obstructions, from suffering. invoke the support of the Dhamma protectors of Guanyin, Bodhisattva, the Awakened Ones, Buddha, Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, to lend support from the stream of awakening like a river of light and healing suffusing through our ancestral line, through our own body. releasing from our own body all the places where we hold pain from that inheritance, diminished ways of seeing and experiencing ourselves. Ancestors are what is behind, and then what we're sitting in the relational field that we're in now close relationships, work relationships, friends, and adversaries that touch us more personally, colleagues, family and so on. It's sending as well to all in our relational field. It touches us, That affects the jitta, our heart. This wave of healing, light, may be free, freeing them. For a moment they don't owe you anything, for a moment you don't owe them anything, just releasing each other to go away each way. Releasing and touching with loving awareness. This wish for freedom for all. This intention. And those in front, those maybe children or grandchildren, nephews, nieces, children of the world. Extending courage and strength, blessings, freeing them from the mistakes of the past May they be protected, may they be held with care, with love. In whatever way is possible for you as a feeling, as a thought, as just an intention, as a combo of all of that, just to hold the sense of this world, all the different realms, from the plants and the trees and the creatures and the animals and the oceans and the seen and unseen beings, all the different places Geographies where humans are, birds of the air, the whole web of the sacred web of interbeing, holding with this compassion, suffusing this stream of awakening where calling on from the realms of freedom, healing, within and around. A great healing light, dissolving shadows, dissolving obstructions, like those salt crystals being swept away by the flow of the river, the waters, the holy waters of the world, all water, dissolving, cleansing, healing. The waters of compassion. All beings breathing together, releasing from pain, suffusing the world with love, with care, with courage. with well-wishing for each other in this mysterious unfolding of life. Sharing blessings of our practice with any that are transition beyond this life, loved ones, may they travel on well. To all left behind in grief, may they, their hearts be soothed. And to all beings everywhere, without exception. May all beings be touched by love, be free, have obstacles removed, and awaken into the heart, into the Dhamma of wisdom, compassion, and liberation. Ooh. Mm-hmm.